Hey, listen, if, you have, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Zach. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're going to get started with something, a word that you have probably heard for a long time, but probably doesn't even know what it means. Um, so for the next four weeks, we're going to be celebrating something called Advent. And all it simply means is coming or arrival. So there is this anticipation that is building as we lead up to this whole Christmas thing that we're about to experience. How many of you guys encountered the madness that is Black Friday? Anybody? I went um, on YouTube for a little while, and I just enjoyed myself for about an hour watching some crazy Black Friday madness. Did anybody see the one where they went crazy over, like, some 50-cent towels? Like, ladies were beating each other for some plush 50-cent towels. What is wrong with you people? It's a towel. Um, But, hey, listen. What we're going to do is we want to offer some resources to you guys throughout this, these next four weeks. Because it's one thing to come in here, um, listen to a sermon, and then go out these doors and do whatever it is that you do. We've said this over and over about church. But church here at OSC Crowley is meant to be so much more than just us coming in here, listening to a sermon, some worship music, and then going out here and living life just completely separate or apart from the people here in this room. At the end of the day... We We want everybody to make a valiant effort to be connected. It's why we're so adamant about you guys being a part of a group or going through Next Step or any one of those things. And I'll talk a little bit more about those at the end of the service. But um, we got a slide we're going to throw up. They have a devotional. I don't know if you guys have this. Um, There's an app called YouVersion. Um, If you go to it and you just search the phrase, good news of great joy, it's literally a 25-day devotional. And for all of you guys that are not readers or maybe you do not forget, get this. It's just a tiny little devotional, and it's about a passage of Scripture every single day. And your phone will set it up where it will give you a reminder. So if you forget, it will remind you. It's great. But one of the things that I want to do is just walk through this and journey through this together. Um, Because here's the thing, that we're really trusting and believing in God for a few things. I know that some of you walked in here this morning, like, struggling with some legitimate things. Some of you are in situations where, man, the the situation just seems absolutely hopeless. Um, Maybe you lost a loved one, or maybe you're not actually looking forward to this holiday season because every time you and your family get under one roof, it just seems like chaos, and your mother-in-law's there, and you got to go have a conversation with her, and she's going to open her mouth and say something like, oh my God, I cannot believe you just said that. And then you stay the rest of the year like mad at her, and then you have to see her all over again at Christmas. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So, So maybe the holiday season is not your favorite season. And so really what we want to do as a church, we know that the Christmas season, it gets so hectic. It gets so busy. We're shopping. We're doing all these things. There's all kinds of kids programs. It seems like you're just running around like a maniac. So what would it look like if we just took literally 10 minutes out of our day in the morning as a church family, walk through this together? What could Jesus possibly do in our hearts, in our lives, and in our cities? So before we jump into any of this, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity, God, to be able to sit here today and hear your word, where there's many people across the world, God, that don't even have the opportunity to do just this. God, we thank you for what you're going to do. God, I know that there's broken people that have walked in here this morning, people that maybe they're here and they were riding the fence and going, man, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing or this whole church thing. God, I pray that this morning, God, that you would just open their eyes. Um, to see you for who you really are. God, that you're not just some tyrant in the sky waiting to just bash us over the head, but God, that you graciously love us and you pursue us. And God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name. So, 
We're starting this series called Advent, and there's a subtitle with it, The King Has Come. And the has in that phrase is very intentional. Um, Not the king is coming, the king has come. Like he's already here. Um, December 25th is not necessarily just Christmas where we sit around a Christmas tree and open up a bunch of presents, but ultimately it was the day that hope, peace, and joy was made readily available to us. It's where we now have an opportunity and we have access to freedom. Like that guilt that you feel, that shame that you feel, those things that you feel, those past regrets or those past mistakes, now there's actually a bridge to be able to encounter hope. So what we're going to do these next few weeks is we're going to talk about different attributes. When Jesus came as a little baby in the stable, what came with him? And so one of the first things I want to talk about this morning is hope. And the reason I want to talk about it is, over the past few weeks, I've had many conversations with many of you in here. Maybe it's been a breakfast or a dinner um, or a lunch or whatever. And man, people are just walking through some really difficult times right now. I can't tell you right now how many conversations of people that I've had with people that have just experienced like loss, like tragedy, unexpected death or unexpected loss, or people who have lost their jobs and therefore now they're losing like absolutely everything. So their security is out the window. What's going on? And sometimes it's really hard to actually believe that in a hopeless situation that there really is a savior that offers hope. Because the truth is, it's a whole lot easier to focus what's right in front of you right now rather than what could be in front of you or what could be ahead of you. So I want to read a passage, and this is going to kind of set the tone for what I want to talk about this morning. And it's out of Romans. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screens. Chapter 15, verse 13. says, I pray that God, who gives you hope, will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in him. May you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that phrase, may you overflow with hope. So my prayer for you this morning is simply this. Whatever circumstance you're in right now, that you can walk out of here overflowing with a sense of, okay, if I anchor my life in Jesus, my dreams, my hopes, my fears in Jesus, that I can be overflowing with hope. But the truth is, maybe 2015 didn't turn out how you thought it would be. I think every January, we always have these expectations about what the year is going to look like, right? Every single January, I tell myself that I'm going to work out. Like every single January, I'm like, I'm get to this year is the year. I'm getting in the gym. I'm going to hit it hard. I'm going to run. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to eat healthy. And then like two days later, I'm a fatty, chilling at McDonald's, eating hot and spicy, stuffing my face, looking at my running shoes going, that's it. Like, that's what most of our resolutions look like. We tell ourselves that 2015, or the new year, is going to be this incredible year, and then we look at it in December when it comes around in Christmas, and this reflection begins to happen, and we go, this year wasn't really what I expected. It wasn't really what I thought it was. Um, As I said, or alluded to earlier, maybe at the beginning of the year you were hoping maybe to have a child. Maybe just to simply get pregnant. Like Maybe you're newly married and you're like, man, this year is the year. Let's have a baby. And for some reason, it just didn't work out. Or, or, or maybe this year you got pregnant and two, three months in, maybe you had a miscarriage. And you begin to ask the question of, okay, God, I thought you were full of hope. Like, what's going on? All I'm feeling is despair and hopelessness. Or, or maybe, um, maybe you were like a Disney junkie. And uh, when you were watching the Disney movies, you actually believed that marriage would look a lot like that. 
like happily ever after and then you get married and like the first two months in you're like it is not happily ever after something is wrong with her god fix her like i don't know what's going on but it is not like disney so maybe you have these expectations and this year just absolutely crushed them um Maybe you have a loved one. Maybe some the reason that some of you hate the holidays is because, to be honest, you're going to go home and you're going to spend time with family and there's going to be an empty chair at the table. Uh, maybe a son, a daughter, a father, a mother, or whatever it may be. It seems like just tragedy called your name this year and you have no idea why. And so let's just be honest. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you're upset. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you didn't lose somebody. Maybe there wasn't great tragedy, but maybe uh, life didn't go how you wanted it to this year. You didn't get the promotion. Maybe you lost your job and you were under the assumption you say, God, if I give my life to you, then you're supposed to take care of all my needs. What's going on? And the truth is, I think Christmas time, it's a happy time of year, but at the same time, I think it's a tense season for most of us. It's a really tense season because we begin to reflect on everything that's happened in the year and we begin to look at all the different things of where we fall short. I don't know if you're like me, but um, in a lot of ways, my wife and I have had this discussion lately, I am a perfectionist, okay? Like, I cannot stand, like, when I, when I draw things or I'm underlining something, like, I will literally go back and erase if there's, like, a crooked line. Like, I, I cannot stand it. I will erase it. It has to be perfectly straight. I can't even open my wife's Bible because it's just like, like, she underlines, like, it's like a tidal wave. She doesn't care. And, and the part of the default of that is I hate failing. Like, I absolutely hate letting people down. I hate failing. And so I feel like one of the things um, that I've had to struggle with and wrestle with this year is just like, man, when I fail, I literally feel like I can fall into this pit of just hopelessness and there's no way out. Like if the church isn't going how I want it to be going or if people aren't responding how I think they should be responding or if I made a promise to my wife and I didn't keep it, uh, hey, I'm going to be better this year, I'm going to change this year, and it just doesn't happen and you can get into this pit and I think what ends up happening for most of us rather than focusing on a God who is full of hope we focus on the situation and so what I want to do um, today is something that I've never done before Um, so we'll see if it works if it doesn't sorry I tested it on you guys (laughs) but um, we're actually going to go through an entire book of the Bible today and uh, I'm We're not going to read a lot of it. I'm going to give you a lot of back history, a lot of context so you can kind of know what's going on. Um, But if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Luke. uh, I mean, sorry, the book of Ruth. Um, But the good thing today, if you don't have a Bible, we have this huge one behind us. And then we also have your phones and stuff like that. Um, The truth is, the book of Ruth, if you read the first chapter, at least the first two chapters, um, it's going to look like an absolute horror story like an absolute tragedy, and you would almost read it if you just read the first two chapters, and you would go, man, God is not so loving. He is not so kind. He was not too gentle with these people. But let me set up the story for you. So there's this guy, his name is Elimelech, and he's married to this lady named Naomi. And they are in what we would call the promised land. And uh, it's actually the land of Canaan. And they're there. And all of a sudden, throughout um, the history of their land, they begin to go through this great famine. 
Um, a lot like what we're experiencing right now in Louisiana and Texas with the economy. Jobs are plummeting. Um, they're having a really hard time getting food. So Elimelech has this great idea. He says, you know what? I don't really want to stay here because it just seems like an absolute hopeless situation. I don't really want to trust in Jesus with all these things. So you know what? Let's go to a foreign country. Let's go somewhere else where things are going great. Let's just move out of the promised land, the land that said that God actually told his people, if you stay here, I will take care of you. So in a, in a moment of hopelessness, in a moment of despair, they say, you know what? Let's pick, pack our bags and let's go to this land called Moab. And... Um, Naomi and Elimelech actually have two sons by the name of Killian and Mahalan. And these two, their names actually mean, get this, and you can probably kind of figure out where the story is going. Their names actually mean sick and dying. <laughs> That's what their names mean. Like, hey, babe, what do you want to name the kids? I don't know. How about sick and dying? Does that work for you? <laughs> like, sick and dying. So they go to this land. And uh, when they get there, keep in mind, they're foreigners. It'd be like Americans going to France, okay? You don't know the language. You don't know the culture. I don't know if you've ever tasted French food. It is absolutely disgusting, especially if you live in Louisiana. You know, we have a very strong seasoned palate. We put salt on everything. You go to France, it's a completely different culture. So it'd be like them being plucked out of their culture, being plucked out of what they're familiar with, and going to this complete... um, foreign land. Now, as the story begins to unfold, you have um, Naomi's two boys. Um, they start, they grow up, and they find two women in Moab to marry. One's name is Orpah, and the other is named Ruth. Now, here's where the story gets interesting, and this all happens in the first chapter. Here's where it gets interesting. It doesn't say how, it doesn't say why, it doesn't say what happens. It just says suddenly Elimelech dies. Okay, so Naomi's husband dies. And then it says a short time thereafter, um, her two sons die as well. So in a matter of one chapter, about a chapter and a half, okay, Naomi's husband dies and she loses both of her sons. How many of you would say that's a bad day? That's a, that is a bad day. So now you have, in a foreign land, you have three widows. Three widows. Just there by themselves with no provisions. I mean, back then, if, if you did not have a man working for you, you did not have provisions for anything. So they're stuck. They don't have any family to go to. There's no relatives that they can lean on. They're in a foreign land. They're in a foreign place. And tragedy strikes. Tragedy strikes. Now, I think a lot of these women in that moment battle what a lot of us are going to battle throughout this holiday season. Believe it or not, this is statistically true, um, the loneliest season of the year is Christmas. The loneliest season of the year. The most amount of suicides are in the holidays. Why? It's because maybe you have people that, man, a family member went astray or they had a connection that went bad or whatever. And so now they're by themselves because they don't want to own up or they don't want to face the situation. And I think in that moment of despair, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, are kind of like, what do we do now? So Naomi has this bright idea, hey, let's go back home. Let's go back home. And as these two daughters are on the way back home with Naomi, um, she looks at both of them and says, listen, stay in your land. Okay, this is your country. Just stay here. Stay here. 
And uh, so Orpah takes her up on the deal. She stays in the land. And Ruth says this in uh, chapter 1, verse 16. It says, Naomi, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. It says, your people will now be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates me. So here's what she's saying. My country is no longer my country anymore. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you. We're both grieving. We're both hurting. And maybe we can help each other out. And so in this process um, of this going on, they go back. And interesting enough, this is where we get the first kind of um, illuminating vision of this grander Christmas story that's about to take place. Um, Naomi's hometown is Bethlehem. So now you have Naomi and Ruth making this journey back to Bethlehem. Now, if you think Crowley's a small town, 15,000 people, I mean, it's a small town. It's not like, you know, we're known for anything on the map other than rice. Um, But if you would look at the American map, people aren't like, man, top 10 vacation places, Crowley. Like, nobody does that, okay? Um, So Bethlehem on the map was one of those places. Um, It was a town that was smaller than 200 people. So get this. If everybody knows your name, if you grew up in Crowley your entire life, and everybody knows your problems and your stuff, and when you mess up, everybody knows about it, do you think if you would go back to a town called Bethlehem where there is less than 200 people, everybody would know what's going on? Like, everybody would know what's going on. Think of it this way. So Naomi comes back with Ruth, a foreigner who is really not welcome in the land that she's in. Um, for, her to, for, for Ruth to even go into this land would be like just culturally not acceptable. And so they go back and imagine this. Maybe they've dealt with their grief just a little bit. And then they get back to the land and they got to deal with it all over again. Hey, Naomi, where's your husband? Hey, Naomi, where's your sons? Tell me about your sons. What's going on with them? How are you guys doing? How have you been? And then all of a sudden, she has to live it all over again. Um, Naomi's name actually means, her original name means pleasant and sweet. And when she goes back home, this is what she says. She says, don't call me, this is Ruth 1, verse 20. She says, don't call me Naomi. She says, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, so she's saying, I went away with my boys, I went away with my husband, but the Lord has brought me back empty. She says, why call me pleasant and sweet? The Lord has afflicted me, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So listen, we see this glimpse into what she's really feeling. She says, you know what, God, I am furious at you. I'm mad, I'm angry, I can't believe that you would do this to me. Why would you do this? Have you ever had a a situation in your life that happens and you just kind of go, hold on, time out. God, why? Ever happened to you? Maybe it wasn't tragedy. Maybe it wasn't loss. But maybe you just, life took an unexpected left turn and you're like, how in the world did I get here? What happened? And you begin to ask God, why? But here's the question that I want to ask you today. And here's what we're going to build the rest of the sermon around. Does the story have to be about loss? Because here's what I am so confident in that what happens in so many people's lives is it's almost like opening up a book. And if you were open up to open up the book of Ruth and you were to read the first few chapters, you'd go, oh my God, this is terrible. 
This is absolutely horrible. And then you close it. And you would just leave it at that. I think that's what most, most people do. Is you're in a hopeless situation right now. Maybe you've experienced tragedy. Maybe you've experienced loss. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you have a son or a daughter that has gone astray. And you don't know what to do with them. Maybe you have a marriage that is on the verge of divorce. And all of a sudden you discount the hope that God offers. And you close the book right there. And you, and you just kind of dig yourself in a hole and say, this is it. I'm done. Life has nothing else to offer me. It's over. It's over. But if you keep continue to reading the story, the story goes on. And so what I want to say this morning is I don't necessarily think that life has to be defined by loss or unexpected turns or tragedies. I think many times it's how to respond to that. How do we respond to that tragedy? It also many times reveals um, our relationship with Jesus. I was reading a book earlier. It's called A Grace Disguised, and it's by a guy named Gerald's sister, and um, he was in a car accident, and in this car accident, he lost three generations. He lost his mother, he lost his wife, and he lost his daughter. How many know that's a rough day? Okay, in a matter of a few moments, your entire world has changed. Okay, and he writes this line in here, and it just kind of like illuminated off the page for me. It says this, the experience of loss does not need to be the defining moment of our story. The defining moment can be our response to the loss we experience. Now, here's the deal. It's one thing for him to say that, and it's a totally different thing for me to say that, right? Like, coming from a man that has experienced just the most immense pain imaginable, that he coined something like this, the, spirit, the experience of loss does not have to define our story. And if I'm just going to be honest with you, I feel like a lot of us in here this morning, we close the book too early. A lot of us, the loss, the unexpected turn, the tragedy, the, your year didn't go how you wanted it to go this year, and that is what defines you. You're living in this vein of this is just how it is, and this is how life is. These are the cards I'm dealt, and I just got to deal with it. But, but could it be that there is a God who loves us so much, and when he came on December 25th, on Christmas, that he offers a hope that maybe you've never tasted before? That he, that he offers a peace, that he offers a joy that maybe you've never experienced before? See, the truth is we don't get to um, choose the roles that we play in life or the cards that we're dealt. Um, you don't get to choose who you're born to, right? It just happens. I mean, and some of you, I mean, when, maybe when you were born, maybe you're a kid, or maybe even now, like, man, I wanted to be born to the rich lady down the street. God, why couldn't that happen? <laughs> like, what happened? What cards were I dealt? I mean, you can't change that. You can't alter that. But the truth is, you can define how you respond to the cards that you're given. And the truth is, the only good response that comes out of a hopeless situation is when we fix our eyes on Jesus. When we fix our eyes on Jesus. So let's continue reading the story because the story is about to take a radical change in the whole story of Ruth. And I believe if there's one word, if you were to read the book of Ruth um, that would describe this entire book would simply be this. It's not loss, it's redemption. It's not loss, it's redemption. I sat with somebody the other week who said, you know what? And she gave me this whole list. And I mean, and by every um, thing that she was saying, I mean, she had every right to leave her husband, just every right. 
And I looked at her and I said, listen, the Bible clearly states you have every right to be able to leave this guy, okay? But the truth is, I believe that redemption is so much better than just severing it. It's a much more glorious picture and a much more glorious story of who God really is. I'm not saying you don't have an out. You do have an out. You could. I just think that when God takes something that is so broken, is so much more beautiful, when he begins to put it back together. So let's continue the story. So they get to this land. They get to Bethlehem. And now keep in mind, back in this time, there is no welfare system. Okay, as long as they could come back and have have the government help them for a little bit. So the welfare system of this day was simply this. The farmers back then, they were the ones that had the money. Okay, and and so the welfare system was by the government. The farmers were required to leave extra as they're harvesting the fields. They're required to leave extra grain behind them. So people that did not have means to feed themselves could come behind them and just pick up the grain and use it for themselves. I mean, it'd be equivalent to somebody, you know, walking around town, picking up aluminum cans, whatever. That's what it was like. So Naomi says, hey, Ruth, listen, we got to get a job. I'm too old to work. Go find something. Go, go get some grain. Go do that. And so she's out there picking up this grain. And uh, it says that she's noticed by this guy named Boaz. And this is Ruth uh, chapter 2, verse 3. So she went out and began to glean behind the harvester. So she's picking up the grain. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field. Uh, This phrase is very important. As it turned out, (laughs) she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. Now watch this. Who was from the clan of Elimelech. So who was Elimelech? Elimelech was Naomi's husband. the, The guy that died in the very beginning of the story. So as it turns out, Ruth doesn't even know it. She is in this guy's field that is related to her father-in-law. And so as it turns out, she's in this field. And here's the thing. I don't believe in fate or chance or any of that stuff. Like, I don't believe if you're here this morning and somebody dragged you here this morning and you don't want to be here this morning, I believe that there's a reason behind it. Like, God brought you here for a purpose. All the things that happen in your life happen for a reason. I know that's oversaid, and that's a cliche sometimes, and that's the last thing that we want to hear. God has a purpose and a design by when he does everything, anything. I said this to a group of guys the other day, like, your story may seem very tragic right now, but God loves you so much that he's willing to deal you a bad hand of cards because sometimes we're so impressed with ourselves. We're so focused on ourselves that we, we don't even see Jesus. And so sometimes he's willing to rip the rug out from underneath you so that you can realize, oh my gosh, God is actually pursuing me. He actually does want me. And so as she's working in the field, it says this guy named Boaz begins to notice her. And so this is what happens, like any mother-in-law would. She goes up to Ruth and she says, hey, listen, this guy Boaz, he's noticing you. Go clean yourself up. Go get your hair done, get your nails done, put some perfume on, and then just like walk by that guy. Actually, in the, actually, she, I found this quite comical, but Naomi tells Ruth, she says, you know what, go get yourself all did up, nice and right, and then um, when he falls asleep in the barn, go lay at his feet. <laughs> what? Like, go, just go lay by him <laughs> while he's sleeping, and then this is what happens. So Ruth listens. She says, okay, I mean, I'll go do myself up and I'll go lay at this guy's feet. This is what happens. 
It says, this is Ruth uh, chapter 3, verse 14 through 18. It says, suddenly around midnight, Boaz awakened, <laughs> sat up startled, and there's a woman lying at his feet. There's either two things that are going through his head. Oh my God, what in the world is happening? Or thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Now, Boaz is a rich, young guy. So my thought would be, he was probably like, yes, score. He says, who are you? At this point, remember this. He knows who she is because he's already noticed her in the field. He knows that she's a foreigner. He knows, get this, he knows that if he were to take a liking to her, he would look down upon because now he's showing interest in a foreigner who's looked down in their promised land. It says, who are you, he demanded. And it says this, it is I, sir, Ruth, she, she replied. And listen to the tenacity in this. She says, make me your wife according to God's law, for you are my closest relative. You are my closest relative. And then listen to Boaz's response. Thank God for a girl like you, he exclaimed. He says, don't worry about a thing, my child. I'll handle all the details, for everyone knows what a wonderful person you are. So this is a huge passage. The story like radically flips around. So all this tragedy, all this loss, this foreigner in this land that is not supposed to be there, and all of a sudden this man takes liking to her, and he says, you know what? I'll take care of you. Don't worry about any of your needs. I'll take care of you. In uh, the book of Ruth throughout the Bible, Boaz is what we would call the guardian redeemer. Basically, if um, you had somebody in your family that died, you were required to take over their fields and their lands. And then if you wanted to, you could take on certain members of their family to kind of support them. Now, Boaz had no legal obligation to take care of Ruth. He actually knew if he would take care of Ruth, that he would look down, be down upon, look down upon in society. So this is, you've got to understand, this is absolutely no act of small kindness. This is a great thing that he's doing. And so Ruth um, 4.13 says this. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. She gave birth to a son. And this is where the story gets really interesting. And this is where we get a glimpse into the Christmas story. But before we get to that, let's talk about this. Do you ever remember when you were a kid, and uh, you would wake up on a Christmas morning, and if you were a lot like me, my parents did not set out the presents until Christmas morning. We had a few from, like, relatives, and we would wake up Christmas Day running to the trees, and there was just presents everywhere. And it, when you're a little kid, I mean, just be honest. What is your first, like, does the biggest one have my name on it? Does the biggest gift have my name on it? And do you remember, like, when you, you were so excited to tear open these gifts, and you would, like, begin to shred the paper off, and you're, you, you think you know what this toy is, you think you know what this present is, and you begin to shred it off, and then you open it up, and it's like some sweater that your grandmother knit you. And you're like, are you kidding me? All this excitement, all this kind of anticipation, and I open up this box, and it's knee-knee sweater. <laughs> like, what in the world? Here's the deal. I think a lot of us are dealing with that. As I said in the very beginning, 2015, you, man, you were excited. You were pumped up for 2015. 
And now that December's come around, like you've kind of pulled back the, the, the wrapping paper. You've kind of opened the box a little bit, and you've looked inside, and it's just not what you expected. Just not what you expected. And you're going, what the heck? What's going on, God? And we see all throughout the book of Ruth, the very few, first few chapters, this great tragedy And then this story of redemption that begins to take place as these two women come back to Bethlehem. You have this man named Boaz who marries Ruth. They have a son together. Then watch what happens. They have a son together, and this is Ruth 4.17, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Okay, so this is very important right here. If you know anything about biblical history, this is what's going to happen. Their son, Obed, is in the line of Jesus. So which means Ruth is in the line of Jesus out of great tragedy. She gets to be a part of the greatest hope ever in the entire world, all because of great loss. She would have never came to a country that was not her own unless her husband had died. She, she would have never followed her mother-in-law unless there was tragedy. Never. They come together. They have a son. They name him Obed, father of Jesse, the father of David. Here's the thing. Some of you think that this Christmas, like the cards that you're dealt right now, you think it's it. Like, this is just my life. This is just what's going to happen. This is just what's going on. This is just the cards that I'm dealt, and I've just got to deal with it. And the truth is, if we could open our eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to do some work in our heart, you never know what's going to come out of that loss. You never know what's going to come out of that tragedy. You never know what's on the other side of it all. Now, here's the interesting part. Um, Boaz did not necessarily come from a prominent family either. Um, Actually, his mother was Rahab, who was a prostitute. I would imagine growing up in a prostitute's home would probably not be the greatest life in the world, right? You probably don't know who your dad is. Just throwing that out there. You probably don't know who your dad is. So you have two people who have experienced just this immense pain or where you would look at it and say, man, life is just simply unfair. And the thing that I love about Jesus is that when he came on earth, he never said, okay, let me look at the most intellectual people, the people that are the most well put together, and let me use them. Actually, he goes, let me look at the people that are the most broken, the most jacked up, the most uneducated, and let me make them fishers of men. And so here's what I want to, to tell you this morning. Despite your story, despite what's gone on in your life, despite the hopelessness that you've encountered, You never know what's on the other side of that if you put all of your trust in Jesus. And listen, I've got to say this because we live in South Louisiana and people think putting your trust in Jesus is going to church. That's not right. Going to church is not putting your trust in Jesus, okay? Being faithful and checking off the list every Sunday is I went to church every Sunday, so God is pleased with me. God wants an intimate, personal relationship with you on a daily basis, There is no way that you can encounter and experience the hope that I'm talking about this morning until you radically encounter Jesus every single day for yourself. 
That's why it's one of the things that we're going to be doing. We're going to be walking through that devotional together. We, we chose one that was pretty simplistic, so I think that it can span for wherever you're at in your relationship with Jesus. Whether this is, man, you just got saved a few weeks ago, or whether you're in here and you've been saved for years, and you're going, I'm not too sure about this whole reading thing. I tried to make it very simple for you. Walk through that. See, you cannot experience hope and tragedy until you know the person that offers hope. You just can't. You're not going to trust God until you genuinely spend time with Jesus. See, if you don't spend time with Jesus, you're not going to experience hope. And the truth is your God is going to be your bank account. You feel good about yourself when you got money in the account and you're freaking out when you don't. You feel good when your marriage is going well and you're freaking out when it's not. And you feel good when your kids are all serving Jesus and you feel terrible when they're not. Listen, if you're always taking credit for the good things in your life, then you're always going to take credit for the bad things that happen as well. And that's a horrible pendulum to be on. Terrible, because it's a lot of high highs and a lot of really low lows. But let's tie this all together. I think way down inside the box where Naomi and Ruth couldn't even see was Jesus waiting to be born in their family line. And that is an incredible story. So Jesus comes out of just absolute obscurity, out of absolute loss. The greatest hope that the world has ever seen, which is Jesus, comes out of tragedy, comes out of loss. And here's the deal. I'll close with this this morning. I know for some of us, it's hard to not give up. I know for some of you, you feel like, man, God, I'm like all prayed out, okay? If somebody tells me to go pray and read my Bible again, I'm just going to throw up. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I've done that, and it doesn't work. Like, what now? I've been there. I've been there when I've tried absolutely everything that I know how to do, and it still feels like nothing is working. But here's the truth. Before you give up, you've got to remember that God is working a story. We did a series um, about seven months ago called The Artist in the Art. And the theme of it was simply this. That God is working in your story right now regardless of what you're going through. At the end of the day, God's not just a God, but he's an artist. And he's working intentionally in your story. So maybe the tragedy that you're experiencing right now or the loss that you have experienced, could it be that it is alluding to a greater story that is being written right now and you just don't really know about it yet? Could it be that if you continue to hold on and put your hope and your trust in Jesus and begin to pursue Jesus even when you don't feel like it? Because I'll be honest with you guys, there's times when I get up in the morning and like I just I don't feel like it. I don't feel like serving my wife. I don't feel like having a relationship with Jesus. I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like taking care of people. I don't feel like answering my phone. (laughs) But if I base my relationship on how I feel, then nothing is ever going to get done. Nothing. And, And for some of us, I think this is what God wants to say to you this morning. You've got to learn to push past, push past the emotions, how you feel. 
You've got to learn to be able to, this is whole concept that Claire and I have talked about for a year now. Fight to know that every single day you're going to get up and it's going to be an epic battle between you, between God and self. Like, God, today I would rather sleep. Like, God, I mean, I did that this morning. And listen, but I'm telling you, and I don't do this often, I don't say this often, but it was so strong to me this morning. I had this temptation. I told my wife last night, I said, you know what, I'm going to wake up early and pray. I'm going to get prepared. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this morning just because of the holidays and stuff. I said, so I'm going to wake up super early. My alarm goes off, and there's this thing going on in my head going, 30 more minutes. You have plenty of time. Like, plenty of time. And I literally felt the Spirit of God speak to me right there. And he just said, fight to know. I'm like, dang it, he's using my own phrase against me. <laughs> like, this doesn't work. God, you can't do that. He's using my own thing. Listen, I want to pray for you, but I want to do this. Can we just all stand here? See, what seemed like the greatest tragedy in the world when Jesus went to the cross and he died ended up turning into the greatest hope when we went to the tomb and the stone was rolled away and he wasn't there anymore. So it's just an obvious example of God is in the business of not tragedy. God is in the business of redemption. So I don't know what you're walking through this morning. I don't know what your story's like. I I don't know what you've been fighting, what you've been wrestling, what you've been battling with. Here's the thing that I'm very confident in. I know Jesus does. He knows where you're at. He knows what your struggles are. He knows what your doubts are. He knows what your insecurities are. He knows that some of you are going back to work tomorrow, and you're going, man, I don't know how long, much longer I'm going to have this job. He knows the pain that you're walking through. He knows. He knows. He knows. So listen, if you're not comfortable with doing this, don't do it, okay? I'm not here to force anybody to do anything. But if you are comfortable with it, can you just do this? And it's just a simple sign of surrender. Can you just lift your hands to Jesus? Father, we come to you this morning, God. God, we know that many of us are walking through pain, through tragedy, through loss, through hopelessness, through despair, through loneliness, through bitterness, through anger, through whatever it is. And God, I pray right now, God, that we would not leave here until we encounter your presence. God, I pray that right now, that God, that it would be an opportunity, not where we walk out of here, and God, we feel that hopeless feeling again, all over again. God, for many of us, that we would be set free from that feeling of despair, that feeling of bitterness, that feeling of anger. God, that you would meet us exactly where we're at this morning. God, I pray for those that are far away from you, Jesus. God, that you would speak to them. God, that you would begin to call them home. God, when you actually said in your scriptures, come to me all who are weary and have heavy burdens and I will give you rest. God, that you actually meant it. God, have your way this morning. In Jesus' name.